Good evening. Our God truly is an awesome God. What a blessing it is that he loves us so much. If you would, open your Bibles to Romans, the first chapter. We won't have slides. If you want to borrow a Bible that is in the pew there, it'll be on about, I believe, 999. 999. We'll begin there and we'll look at about four passages tonight, ending back in Romans where we ended last Sunday night. And uh, we'll begin by reviewing a few things and then move forward tonight. If you're a guest uh, again, uh, we welcome you. We're thankful that you're here. And uh, we're thankful uh, for some good things coming up. The Doug Williams family is going to be going to Brazil this Thursday in an effort to accomplish two things. One, follow up with some of the let's start talking things and good things that have been happening this summer with the Fowlers. But then also in an effort to directly just encourage the Fowlers and let them know that we love them. And uh, the Manifold class has taken up a little money and I think some individuals have also given and so they're, they're hoping to be able to just take them out and, and uh, just treat them to some things. And, and uh, we're thankful for that. And I want to encourage you to pray uh, for the Williams on this trip, but then also for the Fowlers, that the congregation there with the young Christians will be edified, and then also the Fowlers and the great work that they're doing will be edified also. Also, a second piece of news that uh, we're, we're excited about and we think will really be a tremendous blessing. Three Sunday nights from now will be the first Sunday night in September. And on that Sunday night, we will have a simulcast on Sunday evening that will be in the chapel. And we'll ask about a hundred of our members to go over on one Sunday night. Let me restart this over. We'll ask 400 of you to go over one Sunday night a month. And so this coming Sunday morning in your Bible classes, there will be about eight or nine Bible classes that will be asked to sign up. And so, for example, two of you as classes will be asked to sign up for a first Sunday evening. Two other classes will be asked to sign up for a second Sunday evening. And other classes for a third Sunday evening and a fourth Sunday evening. And our deacons will go over and their families uh, for fifth Sundays as four of those roll around each year also. Now in that, what obviously that that will do uh, is that it will uh, give the opportunity for our Bible classes to be able to have fellowship before and after and, and just help you get to know each other better and enjoy the fellowship there. But also it'll free up about 100 seats here that will give us uh, room to grow as, as uh, individuals come in and, and long to be a part of our Sunday evening worship service. And so we're thankful for the opportunities there. And based on uh, when we did a simulcast several years ago, on Sunday mornings, it worked really well. And, uh, and then also uh, be looking for that sign-up this coming Sunday morning in Bible class. The second week of sign-up, what we'll probably do is if there are any classes where there are still openings, or in other words, needs, we'll probably place some of those out at the Welcome Center, uh, the Information Center here, and others of you that maybe it was not passed around your class. If you want to be a part of that to go over once a month, uh, you'll be encouraged to sign that list also. Also, uh, allow us to mention that uh, if there's a reason that it's just not good for you to go over there or it's not something that you want to participate in, that's fine. We're not wanting anyone to feel like that they're being strong-armed uh, to, to do that. But if that's something that works for you and uh, you would appreciate uh, working with this to give room for others, uh, that's something that, as we say, has worked very well in the past and we look forward to seeing 
uh, what God has in store. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, opportunity that we have that there are more and more people that want to come together on Sunday evening and worship. Uh, I could go into a long little diatribe about how many experts in church growth right now say that you cannot have traditional services on Sunday night. People won't come. And it's pretty neat to be thinking about a simulcast on Sunday night. And uh, we say that giving God all the glory, but also saying thank you to each one of you that are faithful, that you want to come and encourage each other and worship God. And that's why we're here tonight. George Gallup said, Never before in the history of the United States has the gospel of Jesus Christ made such inroads while at the same time making so little difference in how people actually live. Perhaps he's right. Perhaps there's never been a time in America where people talk more about God and about being godly, but yet they're not godly. And as we think about that, it gives us a perfect segue into the study of Romans. Whereas we talked about last Sunday night, the book of Romans is so much about God. God is mentioned on average far more times in the book of Romans than any other book in the New Testament. And yet the system of redemption is also found in the book of Romans. And I mentioned several passages to you last week to, to remind you or to show you or inform you that God doesn't talk about a, a subject in Romans that deals with us without talking about how it also involves God. And so in that, the book of Romans is a deep study because any time you tiptoe into the waters to talk about God, you have gone into some deep waters. And yet every topic that we look at calls us to learn something, to participate in something, but it shows us who God is in that very act. And of course, it's very, very beautiful. In this, we talked about the fact that we have terms today that are highly misunderstood. Predestination, election, to be chosen, to be the called. And although we're not setting out, the motive of this study was not this, and we're not really going to set out to do it now, but we can't help but notice it as we go, so we might as well notice it as we go. Even though those words are oftentimes used to talk about individuals being predestined or individuals being called, the Scriptures doesn't speak about God predestining individuals. But it is a group of people that God has predestined. But what we want to especially look, and you can notice that as you will as a sideline, but we want to especially look at this idea in Romans 1 where he talks about those who are the called of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? And if I'm a part of it, what does it mean to me? What responsibility do I have? Just like we talked about a while ago, George Gallup, when he says... People around us are all the time talking about the inroads of Jesus Christ, but yet they don't live their life any differently. If I am to live a life of the called, do the called live a different life? Or do they just talk a different life, but still live the same old life as the world lives? And so let's go into Romans here. 
I will guess I'll start back at verse 1, but I've really got to hold my feet to the fire and not slow down too much in this review. And if I go maybe too fast in this review, just know at verse 6 we're going to catch up and we're going to move forward from there tonight. But here's a quick review. Romans 1 and verse 1 from last Sunday night. Paul, the author of this, identifies himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In other words, he wants us to know that he places himself in submission to God. Called, using the word a little bit different now than what we're going to use it later on. Called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. He's wanting to make it clear, and he'll do it again in a few minutes. He wants to make it clear. I'm writing by authority. I didn't name myself an apostle. Other people didn't name myself apostle. I was separated by the gospel. What's the gospel? The kerygma, the death, the burial, and, and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, still the same sentence for many verses. We're going to have the same sentence here. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is the one that Paul wants to write about. He is the one that has called Paul to be an apostle. He is the one that fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Who is he? Notice when he says his son, he's talking about deity. When he says Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And then when he talks about Christ, he's talking about the magnified or the glorified one or the Messiah that fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Jesus came. He is the one. But notice he says, our Lord. That is significant. Paul again is referring to the fact, I place myself under subjection to the Lord. He's not just some God. He's my God. I submit to him. And we continue the rest of verse 3 with him placing the emphasis on the fleshly nature of Jesus because God doesn't have a genealogy of man, but Jesus, when he became flesh, has a genealogy of man. And so the rest of verse 3, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And now we see the incarnation. God became flesh. Look at, declared. And remember that's the word for, it can be clearly defined. In other words, you can clearly state this. Declared to be the Son of God. Remember I mentioned to you last week, if I stood up here and I really tried to convince you I was the Son of God, you would think something would be really wrong with me. And so when Jesus stood up and made the claim, He is the Son of God, how can he prove it? He needs great evidence. He needs great power. So notice the rest of this verse. He has the testimony of the rest of this verse with the power according to the spirit of holiness. But then notice the power. By the resurrection from the dead. It's not the purpose of this lesson, but if you haven't done this before, you ought to do yourself a favor and flip through the pages of Acts and notice how the strongest proof, there are several things that could be used, but the strongest proof that's used over and over to prove the deity of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Acts 2, that's what the whole sermon was that day to prove to them that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. It was all about the resurrection. You go to the very next chapter, Acts 3, it's about the resurrection. Every few pages you read about the resurrection. Now let's notice verse 5. Through him, he goes back again to his calling. Through him we have received grace and apostleship. Now this is key. This is a bookend meaning it's here, but it's also in the 16th chapter in verse 26, beginning and end of the book. For obedience to the faith among all the nations of his name. It's just interesting to note how many people talk about faith without works and go to the book of Romans, and yet the bookends of Romans is he begins and ends by saying, I want to talk to you about a faith that you must have that is what? 
obedient faith. That's the bookends of Romans. All right, let's, let's uh, read on. The, the rest of that is obedient faith among all nations. That reminds us of the Great Commission, that this faith is offered to all nations in his name. And here we are to where we're going tonight, verse 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. What is he talking about when he says, you are the called of Jesus Christ? What does it mean? What blessings does it, do we obtain in being the called of Jesus Christ? And what responsibilities do we have? Not that we can cover all of that tonight, but I would like for us to go into a few different passages tonight. Hopefully we'll go to four different passages. And I'd like for you to note, obviously going to four passages, we can't note everything in what we're going to read. But I'd like for you to see, there's a group that the Lord has predestined to be the called. Notice I didn't say individuals. There is a group that he has predestined to be the called. That group is already identified before creation. Not the individuals, the group. Who are they going to be? What are they going to live for? What are they going to look toward? Everybody else has been predestined to be the world. Now we get to choose which group we want to be in. Let's see how it works. Let's go to Titus. Titus, the second chapter. Titus, the second chapter, verse 11. Titus 2 and verse 11. By the way, the Bible that's in your pews, that's 1059. 1059. Titus 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many? To all men. Okay, so does, does that mean everybody's going to be saved? No. But wait a minute, I thought grace saved people. Grace only saves the people that receive the gift. When he talks about the called, what is implied by the way Paul uses that word called in this setting, he is talking about those that have heard the invitation of Jesus Christ and they have responded to it. They have obeyed it. That is the called. So here the grace appears to all men. But not all men are going to respond to it. Well, now, if we were going to respond to it, what would we be responding to? Notice the rest of verse 11 tells us what grace does as we go into verse 12. Grace, from verse 11, goes into 12, teaching us that, and here's the repentance part, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. And here's the positive part, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Now, now, what are these people here going to do? Look at verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Now, wait a minute. Who, who are the us? Well, let's finish this. He's going to identify the us. That we... Might that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself who? His own special people, zealous for good works. These people that belong to him, they're his, the old translation used to say the peculiar people. But the way we use the word today in English, that's not really the way he's describing it here. He's talking about his own special people. His people are special. His people are not part of the world. His people have special blessings that the world doesn't have. His people live for something that the world doesn't live for. His people long for something that the world doesn't long for. Notice, 
What are these people doing? They are the people that received the teaching of grace. And so they repented and they turned away from the ungodly things and they came to Christ living a sober, righteous, and godly life, he says. And there they're looking, see there in 13, for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the Lord. We don't live our life for this earth. The call of Jesus recognized we as a group are sojourners. We are living for the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's learn a little bit more about this group. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. It's back just a few pages in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians will be on 1051 if you're following in the Bible in your pew. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. Let's read 13, 14, and 15. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you. Now notice, when did he choose? From the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. All right, so now let's think about this. He says, back in the beginning, and we're about to read in just a minute, it was even before the beginning, but it did exist in the beginning. In other words, he had already made that choice in the beginning. In the beginning, he says, I'm going to have those that are saved, those that I have chosen. They're going to be sanctified. The world's here. They're set apart from the world. They are now God's people for God's use. They're servants of God. Now, how does this sanctification take place? Well, God definitely has his hand in it. But notice what our hand is in it. When we go into verse 14, we're still continuing the same sentence from 13 that's talking about this sanctification. And notice what it says in 14. To which he, now here's our word, called. To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, teach us, how were we called to be a part of the called. He says it was through the gospel. Those that came through the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and what that means to us, those that come through the gospel, they can be sanctified from the world. They can be a part of the called. But notice, they're living for that glory that is to come one day. Now notice verse 15, because of that, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. So let's review very quickly. I'm out in the world. Titus 2 and 10, I learned that the grace of God's appeared to all. I have to make a decision. Am I going to learn what grace teaches and receive the gift, or am I not going to receive the gift? I didn't think about this until I was walking into a meeting a few minutes ago, but... Friday on the radio, I heard this, I thought, I need to Google that and look that up because that would really work well here. How can you receive something, how can you be offered something but not receive it? That happens all the time. See, that's what Titus was teaching. Grace has been offered to the whole world, but most of the world doesn't receive the gift. There was an NBA basketball player that when he received his first check from the team, it was a $1 million check, and he framed the actual check. Obviously, the team realized that it never was cashed out. They contacted him and said, what about that $1 million check? What, what are you going to do with that? He said, oh, I framed it. I want to keep that one. 
And they said, you know, that's a million dollars. Well, it wasn't that moment, was it? You see, he was offered it, but he didn't receive it as a million dollars. He received it as a document that he wanted to frame on his wall. And finally, the team convinced him, you know that you can photocopy it and make it look like the real thing, and then you can go cash the real thing and have a million dollars. And so finally, he decided that might be a good idea. You say, can you imagine someone passing up the offering of a million dollars? Oh, it happened. But let me tell you what, billions of people pass up every day. And that's something worth a lot more than a million dollars. It's grace. The grace of God is offered and people pass it up. They don't receive the gift that is offered to them. Grace teaches us how to receive that gift, Titus 2. 2 Thessalonians 2 teaches us that when we obey that gospel that brings us, what is the grace? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's the good news. It tells us about the gospel. It tells us about the grace that's offered to us. When we obey that, we, now this is our part. God has done his part through Jesus' sanctification. Our part is we receive that gift, and now we have been sanctified. We've been set apart from the world because of that gift that's offered. And now we realize this world doesn't hold me. I'm living for the glorious appearance of Jesus. Now, with that in mind, let's go to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter. Let's begin reading at verse 3, and there's several times that he uses words here that fall into our lesson tonight, like chose and predestination and adoption. But let's pick up in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, and uh, this will be on 1037 in the Bible that's in your pew, 1037. Ephesians 1 and 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly places, where? In Christ. Now, think about this. So now the called of Jesus have a different description here. And it's the heavenly place. The heavenly places. Now, who's in the heavenly places? Those who are in Christ. Now notice, usually when we think about the word heavenly in the scriptures, we think about where Christ went to prepare a place and he's coming back for us, but that's not the way Ephesians uses the word heavenly. You can look every time it's used throughout Ephesians and it's very clear he's not using it to talk about the eternal home. What he is talking about is that those who are part of the called, they begin to receive heavenly blessings on this earth that the world doesn't receive. I don't know if this is a good way to describe it, and I don't say this to make light of anything or be irreverent, but it's almost like God says, when you become a part of the called, I want to go ahead and give you just a little taste of heaven. I want you to go ahead and start enjoying just a little bit of the blessings that wait for you. And just a minute, we're going to read Romans 8. Remember, that's where we ended last week. Remember, last week we noted the fact that we're made a promise as the ones that are part of the called in Romans 8, that people in the world don't have that promise. That would be one example 
of what it is to live in the heavenly. We just read in Ephesians 1 and verse 3 that all spiritual blessings are in the heavenly. And so those are out in the world, they don't have these spiritual blessings, but those that are part of the heavenly, those that are in Christ, those that are the called in Jesus Christ, enjoy this. So now let's, let's finish this sentence or work down through it in verse 4. He continues the sentence, just as he chose us, now, okay, if he chose us, who are the us? Notice it's chose us in him, the ones that are in him. Before what? The foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined. We know what destined means. Pre means it was made, that decision was made beforehand. Jesus Christ, God the Father, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now those that are a part of the chosen are those that have been predestined, are those that have been adopted. And how does he describe those? They're living according to the pleasure of God, the good pleasure of his will. What would cause God to look down and say, now that is the way I wanted it. Whenever we come to him through the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, God looks down upon those that are living in the heavenly and says, that's my good pleasure. That's what I long to see. God, when did you long for that? <laughs> he says, before I ever said, let there be light. Before the foundations of the world was, was laid. He says, I made a plan that I was going to send my son. And notice in this passage we just read, over and over it says, in Christ, in him, in whom. All of these, God is building it around the fact that I was going to send my son. I made this plan from the beginning of how I'm going to sanctify and bring this group of people. It's predestined that this group would be in me. Who's this group? This group that have learned the teachings of grace and they've obeyed the gospel and they live now for Christ and no longer for the world and they can't wait for the coming of Jesus to receive his glory. Now with that in mind, see, notice verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted and beloved. And let's skip down and just quickly read 11 and 12, the same Ephesians 1, verse 11 and 12. And we're, again, we're talking about in him, in Christ. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. See how the emphasis keeps being, if you're in Christ, we live for the inheritance. Being what? Predestined. That inheritance has already been planned according to the purpose of him. This is what God has sent Jesus to accomplish, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Being a part of the saved is all about what Christ wanted. And it's bringing glory to Christ when we do that. And so now let's close this lesson by looking at Romans, the eighth chapter again, where we ended last week, except last week we didn't take the time to spend hardly any time on verse 30. We'll spend some time on 30, and the lesson is yours. Romans 8 and 28, a promise that he only made to those who were the called. Look at Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are what? The called 
according to His purpose. Now see, we just read in Ephesians, plain as day, who are the called according to His purpose. The ones that He predestined, the ones that He chose, the ones that came to Him through the gospel. Grace, Titus 2, was offered to everybody. There's not a person you work with that grace hasn't been offered to them. There's not a person you go to school with that grace hasn't been offered to them. There's not anybody around the world that grace hasn't been offered to them. But it's only those who accept the teachings of grace and they are sanctified through the gospel that they learn, remember the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They come to Christ. They're in Christ. They're predestined, that group is. They're chosen, that group is. They're adopted, that group is. They are the called of Jesus. Now that group has some blessings like all things work together for good for those that are part of the called. You see a tragedy in your life and you'll say nothing good will come out of that. Oh yes it will if you're part of the called. God will make sure something good comes out of it. You're out in the world. That promise isn't made to those out in the world. They can go through a tragedy and it could honestly be said, Nothing good may ever come out of this. There's a huge difference in being part of the called and being the world. So let's look now to 29. Again, it's talking about predestination. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We'll come back to that in just a moment when we extend the invitation. But now notice verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, there he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now let's think about the order he places here. He said he predestined. Before the foundations of the world, he made this plan. And that group that he predestined, he called. Remember Jesus Christ came to this earth? And he said, the call means literally to make an invitation, to make an appointment. Jesus came to this earth and he called. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He made that call to those he predestined. He called. To those he called, okay, I hear the call. I want to obey that gospel call. And the Lord says, if you obey, again, the bookends of Romans, obedient faith, if you will obey that, I will justify you. Your life will be just as if you'd never sinned. Romans 3 and 26. He is just and the justifier. But those He justified, He glorified there's a measure of glory that we have on this earth that we are to be like Christ but that great change in glory according to 1 John 3 the first three verses is going to be when Christ comes again and we see him in his glory and we are made like unto him the ultimate glorification that the called are living for he predestined it and this group that was predestined, Christ called us. And those that heard that call were justified. And those that have been justified are glorified. 
and waiting for that ultimate glory that is to come. The called. It really is a life that is separate from the world. And it can only happen when we align ourselves to the purpose of Christ and to the good pleasure of God that He put into place before the foundations of the world was laid. I don't know if you've ever given an ounce of thought to it, but if you want to take a thought that can get kind of deep, but then send cold chills down your spine, for any of you that have come to Jesus and you have surrendered your life through the gospel, I want you to think about when you did that, you took part in a plan that's older than the earth that you are standing on. That's amazing. God loves you so much that He's had you in mind longer than the earth has been before the foundations of the earth was laid. That's amazing. So what does He predestine for you and I? And we close this in 29. Notice he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Remember we mentioned this last week in closing. God made a plan that all those that would be a part of the call, that their life is going to be conformed. The idea of shaping and molding we will be conformed into the image. That's the Greek word for icon. We know what an icon is. We are to be in the image. We are to be in the icon of Jesus Christ. And so the, the longer we live, the more we ought to look like Christ. And the more we look like Christ, the more we can say, this has been God's good pleasure for me. This has been Christ's will for me since literally before the foundations of the world. This is what God wants for me. And so tonight, I'm not saying this answers all your questions. I'm not that naive by any stretch. But I do want you to think about this. The next time you're about to just casually spew out the words, oh, I just wish I knew what God's will for me was. Friends, the biggest part of God's will, there's not a person here that ought to be uncertain about that. The biggest part of God's will for you and I is to be predestined into the image of His Son. To get up every day and live in a close relationship with God wanting more than anything to just reflect Jesus. Talk like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Form that close relationship so we truly are one with Jesus. And I know that there's a lot more details to life that perhaps we have to figure out. But if we don't get that one right, we've missed us individually fulfilling God's will for us. The gospel. How much do you believe this is really, really good news? It is. It's about a Savior that loves you and I so much. Tonight, are you at peace with Him? Are you at one with Him? Have you been justified by Him? 
It's only by His grace and His mercy that these things can happen. Remember we talked about Romans. The book of Romans never talks about anything being all God and not man. It also never talks about being all man and not God. The book of Romans talks about you and I in a partnership with God. And tonight, if you've not begun that life by laying your life down to Him, wouldn't tonight be a wonderful time to do that? Are you ready to repent? Are you ready to confess before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you ready to take yourself and be buried in the waters of baptism to rise out of that water as a new creation delivered by the grace and the mercy and the gospel of God into the called in Him. Maybe along the way you've begun that journey, but you haven't stayed with those people. Maybe you've left those people, and tonight you want to come back to those people that are predestined. By the grace of God, you can. Repent of sins, confess it, and let's pray forgiveness. If we